0: I'm Travis Chappell, and I chat with some of the world's top business influencers, thought leaders, and entrepreneurs in order to crack the code of networking. I believe that who you know is more important than what you know, and that your relationships ultimately determine the person that you become. So if you want to learn the new way of connecting, if you want to fill your network with quality people and skyrocket your results, then you're in the right place. Because this is the Build Your Network podcast. Hello everybody
1: and welcome back to another episode of build your network. My name is Eric. I'm Travis's producer and on today's episode, we're talking about how to be successful on YouTube and we couldn't have a better roundup of guests to go through it. First up is JP Sears. He's a YouTuber speaker. And author of how to be ultra spiritual next is sean cannell he's an author and youtuber behind think media and a host of other successful channels and last but not least is patrick bet david the creator of value there is so much value packed into this episode and if you appreciate anything or find any tip valuable within the episode be sure to take a screenshot and tag travis on instagram with the handle at travis chapel all right guys let's get into the show <music>
2: I've been making comedy videos for the, the past three years, and my style of comedy, at least from my delusional blue-eyed point of view, <laughs> is using the language of comedy to deliver deeper messages to people, to help people get more in touch with their authentic selves, their personal power, and really step into a space where they discover and unleash their inner genius more unapologetically. And of course, therefore have more meaningful lives and more fulfillment in their lives. But yeah, before I did any kind of comedy videos, I was doing emotional healing client coaching for 13 years. And along with that running workshops classes retreats around the world and is very deeply satisfying work and one thing i would like to share about that while while i was doing you know principally emotional healing coaching no comedy on the scene that was great work i'm very proud of it i think it was a very sincere offering yet one thing i was doing was essentially living in betrayal mm. of part of myself the comedic part of me, it's always been an aspect of me ever since I was a child, yet I sort of had this doctrine where I had bought into the idea, just all self-induced, that said, yeah, the comedic stuff, that would be terrible for business, JP. It would discredit you as an emotional healing coach. So for me, though, I, even though I had this story that said comedy would be the worst thing for business, Eventually, I got to a point where I couldn't not bring comedy onto the scene, Hmm. and it turned out where being more true to myself in the sense of comedy is now a part of what I do. It was the best thing I ever could have done for business, and I think a lesson that I took away from that is we always win when we bet what's real for us, when we bet on our true selves. It sounds a little cliche, and it is, yet I also think it's maybe a lot
0: true. So when you put those videos, the first videos that you were doing out there, was it always in your plan to like funnel clients into your business from your videos? Or was it just like, you know what, I'm sick of like hiding this part of me and I just kind of want to get it out there?
2: Well, uh, yes and no. Mostly no. I won't pretend to be smart enough to premeditate how my business growth has I've been very blessed to have it expand very exponentially since starting to make videos. But before I did the comedy videos, I was doing just sincere, like serious self-help videos on YouTube. I'd done that for a year, year and a half. And that intention was like, let me funnel clients into my coaching business. And yeah, got a few. And I'm, it's literally a few mm-hmm. when I started doing comedy videos. I thought it would actually be the opposite I thought it would repel clients. Yeah, but it turned out in a short amount of time the comedy videos Flooded my schedule so that it was more than full wow. as weird as that seemed it It was the reality.
0: Yeah, was it like when, when you first started putting these videos out? Did you get a bunch of people like writing you and? like being upset at you for like making fun of that particular you know the first video i remember watching of yours jp i was dying laughing i watched it again this morning to prep for this interview i don't think it did much in helping me prep it just made me laugh again (laughs) but it was the if meat eaters acted like vegans one and i don't know just to me i can just see a bunch of really upset vegans about that (laughs) did that happen do you get a bunch of negative feedback and then were you just like actually this is kind of what i do so just chill.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, in the beginning, there was more of it because people didn't realize that I'm doing comedy on topics that I value right, and I respect. Right. But, you know, I, before I came along, I'm sure there was people, but I have never seen people do comedy on spiritual topics and a lot of health-related topics. So I think it, it took people a while to get used to. But once I had several handfuls of videos out, the shock of it sort of wore off. And there was like a sort of like a getting used to, oh, like, yeah, he's doing comedy on these cool things. Yeah. But on that, one quick story. The If Meat Eaters Acted Like Vegans video, uh, there, there were definitely some really angry vegans, but there were also some really happy vegans, which was beautiful. And, and I do lo- look at videos like a mirror, like you're going you to see part of yourself. If you take yourself too seriously, you're going to see that. Hmm. If you know how to laugh with yourself, you're going to see that. But with that uh, that particular video, the BBC got a hold of me and said, JP, we'd like to interview you about the if Meat Eaters Acted Like Vegans video. I said, cool, happy to do that. So we get in the interview. And now this isn't like, I mean, you're like a real human talking with me in this discussion. Mm -hmm. But these are like BBC people where kind of like the newspaper news reporters, (laughs) like they aren't like acting like human beings. They're out to find fear based drama Mm
0: -hmm, and
2: and, exploit
0: some sort of a, yeah, of course.
2: So they don't necessarily offer come with like an air of like respect and like joy like you do. So anyway, I got, get get on the line with them and there's two of them and they uh, oh, right away I just they were just weird people. But anyway, they they said you know JP, we went down to a vegan cafe here in London and we showed a waitress your video. And she was really upset. She said it was offensive. What do you have to say about that? And I just, it's like, I'm not going to play that game. I just, I would never want to rob someone from an emotion that their body generates. <laughs> so. Anyway, there's they're certainly... I think in the world that we live in, Travis, anytime you say something meaningful, someone will be offended. Mm. Now, I hopefully outgrow I think we'll evolve beyond this trend, yeah. but certainly yeah. my videos I think every single video has some people getting offended by it, yet it's definitely less than it used to be because people kind of realize like ah, oh, there's j p he's he's maybe a good guy, actually, <laughs> maybe.
0: Oh, man. Yeah, that's so funny. I figured you have to have a few of those stories and a few of those hate emails out there just from rewatching that video this morning. There's so much good stuff in there. (laughs) Do you set aside time now? So now that this has become a really integral part of your business, do you set aside like creative time to try to come up with more videos now? Or is it just kind of like whenever something comes to you, write it down and then try to implement it?
2: Yeah, both. You know, not only have I had to progressively learned to restructure my day but my whole career has been restructured honestly mm. the past few years where it used to be all I was doing was working with clients and about a year ago I finally gave up my client practice oh, well. so I could entertain all the you know, like purposeful opportunities coming at me speaking books working you know sponsoring doing sponsorships with companies and performing yeah. and Lots of cool things. So realizing like, yeah, for me, my videos are a priority. Not only do they bring in other great business, but they give me so much creative satisfaction in their way I can connect with people and have some level of impact on their lives. So, yeah, when i'm at least home when I'm traveling, it can be a little bit more hectic, but when I'm home, the first part of my work day is an hour for creativity, okay. so that's me I'm scripting videos, and typically the video ideas will just come to me at obscure times. I might be working out, taking a walk, feeding the dog, so i'll just I'll note the video ideas but Bringing in the kind of like volumizing them with the scripting—that's something usually the first part of my first hour of the workday is prioritizing the priority.
1: CNBC recently did a proper mini documentary, like a twelve-minute spot about my story. Oh, awesome! Because we had a forty-thousand-dollar month in just Amazon affiliates. Um, we now make like 35 to 55,000, which is insane. It's like 250,000 clicks on tech links basically a month. And that's a small portion of our overall uh, revenue. Um, we've done eight figures in sales and our multiple seven a year team of 12 people, 125 million video views. That's just on think media. I haven't done the math on some of the other channels. Our, our video influencers is a separate 600,000 subscriber channel. That's a side project that complementary but different. And that's also where I wrote the book, YouTube secrets. Again, number one, bestselling YouTube, a lot of books. If you hit 5,000 copies sold, it's pretty good. Yeah, so to hit right. like near 50,000, even
0: like traditional published 5,000 books is like, Whew. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I made my advance back or whatever yeah. for the publisher, but to sell 40, 50,000 books of any book, especially the way that you guys did it, man, it's incredible. It's pretty
1: crazy. So yeah, so just a lot, uh, a lot of things and we're, we're still helping. Pe- our mission is to help 10,000 people create a full-time living, doing what they love while making a difference in the world with online video mm. and really practically to help 10,000 people find their 1000 true fans. Mm. Um, and without going into that, it's just kind of the famous Kevin Kelly article. Yeah. Um, that if you can find your a thousand true fans, you could, you could build a business around your passion or your expertise or yep. your know-how. Um, and so that would also be 10 million people impacted. And we believe, I believe with education being so disrupted, um, and with things being democratized and the gatekeepers kind of being gone, um, and even what we've seen with the lockdown and, and all of that, that, that being online, having an online offer and solving problems for others, you know, knowing your audience's problems and ambitions and solving those problems, I think YouTube's the best way to do it. And specifically, we now have evolved, there's probably two big arms. We're helping people crush it on YouTube and establish their personal brand and their influence. And then we're helping people package promote and profit from their knowledge and we believe the best thing people could do is create an online course scalable Mm. whole nother conversation uh talking to thinkific and we have worked with different brand deals different companies we use kajabi love thinkific teachable school like these are online course hosting platforms they said their best students their most successful students that sell the most online courses and are the most successful are all youtube creators and this makes sense mm. because most online courses are videos inside of a membership area. Sure. And if you're educating on YouTube, there's you are already like pre-attracting someone that absolutely would make the next step. It makes just kind of a linear step. So as they were saying that, I see that kind of as the one-two punch, if you will, that mm. YouTube is the town square of influence when it comes to video, period. It yeah. is the center of the video universe, um, that is why I believe the most consistently influential entrepreneurs, whether it's Brenner Burchard or Gary Vaynerchuk or Marie Forleo or Grant Cardone, invest heavy in YouTube. And it really is a pillar of influence that can then lead to whatever Eric Worry like yeah, uh, whatever, yeah. Um, that can lead to a lot of other things. And that it's also the real estate, digital real estate of YouTube, I think is a pretty critical uh, piece for people. Uh, just something that everybody should be considering. And we help people build their influence with YouTube,
0: period. Travis, just go to indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about indeed here on the podcast, indeed.com slash Travis terms and conditions apply. If you need hire, you need indeed. Do you expect any sort of big changes to be happening with YouTube or any sort of like just really the video influencer industry as a whole with Spotify coming out, making some of the moves that they've made recently?
1: I think that, um, youtube on number one as far as changes they did just overhaul their whole back end like it went from the old classic creator studio to the new youtube studio it seems that and even algorithmically that about every 10 years that Mm -hmm. was how long that change took so i guess mr beast very influential youtuber and one who shares at different events and whatnot youtube itself seems i think it's going to be pretty similar for the next five years okay um meaning the algorithm works, the viewership is there, the user base continues to grow. It's especially the lockdown has just increased viewership and all kinds of things. So, YouTube will continue to evolve, but they don't move that fast. Like there's not, you know, mm, they're not yeah. making my, it's, it's becoming more of an ocean liner, less of a speedboat. Interesting. In terms yeah. of of a platform. So I think that's that's good. And it's also good for us. We keep our courses current, anybody that, you know, so we just recently rebuilt everything in light of like the new reality of YouTube. And and it's, it's pretty established there. I think with Spotify, um, I do think it's, you know, it's hard to say. I think that when you become known for one thing, can you start, pivoting and become known for something else yeah maybe instagram's doing that i mean it was just a photo feed now it's everything right live video short form video snapchat long long form video (laughs) igtv literally it's everything right right? you know and and people love instagram and so that that's interesting to me of course rogan over on spotify is is interesting but i don't i think youtube is just such a monopoly to be fair. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Amazon bought some URLs too. They bought like Amazon tube and they bought some different things. Maybe interesting. It, you know, people just announced that. But, um, when you think of the already existing content library, yeah, that's one thing that who could catch up with that search, search database right, right? content library. That's where people fix their Jeep shocks, yeah. their, their dishwasher. They right. teach their, they have their dog stop peeing on the carpet (laughs) like it's all so there's that aspect so of course competitors will come and go but again as far as is it good ground to invest in youtube still uh, without question
0: Mm. i'm curious with you having value attainment and all the awesome people that you'd be able to talk to on there when you started the show did you look at it as more of a way to get education out or kind of almost a selfish way to, for you to be able to connect with a bunch of people and have those conversations and those debates with the people that you wanted to have them with?
3: Good question. No, I, I honestly think when we first started social media, like I came on last, you know, from the names. If you look <laughs> at the names today, yeah. most of the guys got on YouTube in 07 or you know, 0, whenever YouTube came out or Twitter, right. they're early, Facebook, they're early. I was never on Vine. I don't even know what Vine looks like. Like I've never <laughs> been on Vine. Uh, I've never been on Friendster, I don't know any of this stuff. I was not a social media guy. When you sell mutual fund stocks, bonds, you're in the securities industry, it's so regulated that they, everything is, anything you post on social media, you have to get it approved. So we were told by broker-dealers and FINRA that, you know, you're posting on social media could be held against you. So we were very much, up, you know, I just don't even want to risk it, so right. I don't want to lose right. my license. But once I got into it and I saw that today's line of communication is completely different, and if you want to be relevant today, you have to have a voice. You saw who's the president today. He's a president today because he understands Twitter better than anybody Persuasion. else. He's, uh, he understands Astros. Twitter. He understands Twitter better than anyone in the world. Mm-hmm. And he knows how to play with everybody. Mm-hmm. Yep. The president prior to him, he understands Twitter better than you know, anyone except for Trump. He yeah. also understands social media. Right. Ron Paul was the first guy to raise $6 million in 24 hours on MySpace. Wow. Ron Paul, who is 83 years old right now. He ran as a libertarian. He didn't run as a libertarian. He ran as a Republican. He raised $6 million on MySpace, I think in 04, or 06, some number like that. It's the most ever raised on the Internet. This was a 70-year-old man raising $6 million on the Internet. Yeah. So the moment you start seeing those kinds of things, you realize, i got to go in that direction. And Catching we did. up those trends. And then you decide where you belong within it. I'm, today's uh, my car, I left it here because last time when we went to Austin... I left the rolls here, so this morning I get up to go and get the rolls. I'm where's the car? It's not here. I'm, oh, I gotta get it. So I call an Uber. Uber picks me up. A lady, is picking me up. We start. time. where are you from? From well, Okay, great. So uh, what do you do? Oh, I also have a YouTube channel on the side. She's tell me oh, tell me your YouTube channel. So I went and looked up her YouTube channel, and we're speaking. It says, don't, no, no, don't look at it. Don't look at it. You know, I don't want. You. Matter of fact, I'm gonna give her love here on the video. She's got two subscribers. Okay. <laughs> she said, I created an alias name. Her name is Daisy Habibi. Go give her a hard time, right? Say, Patrick talked about you on a, uh, on a uh, podcast or an interview, okay? She's got two subscribers today, and it's a makeup channel. Right? I'm not going to go on a makeup channel for myself. You're probably not going to go on it either. Not publicly. Not publicly, yeah. privately, <laughs> right? But I look at this, and she says, oh, please, please, don't, don't look at it. It's embarrassing. I said, why not? But it's, the videos are not good yet. I said, don't worry about it. I said, right now, you're testing. Yeah. You are not going to know for a year or two years on where you want to be. You're probably going to know two years. Look at social media and your brand like this. The first girl you ever kissed, you don't marry her. That's called puppy love. You come home and you tell your mom that's going to be your wife. Six months later, she kisses your friend. And then it changes. Then you have your first heartbreak and puppy love simultaneously. Then you have a steady girlfriend for two or three years. Then you learn how sex works. Then you learn maybe another girl. Then you finally realize what you didn't like about the first one, what you screwed up, what she screwed up and what you do not like about the second one or the third one. Then you have an idea who you want to be with long term. Then you choose. Do I even want to get married or not? Maybe I don't even want to get married. But you know if you want kids, you know if you want to be married, you know whatever. So then you decided to get married at 30 years old, right? Yeah, yeah. Take that and compress it to two, three years. That's social media. You can be on social media. You don't know yet who you're going to be, but you will two to three years. Yeah. So you don't want to speed it up too much to put yourself in a box because you may screw up your next move. You almost got to dance with social media until yourself and your audience says, Travis, I like it when you talk about pa, pa, pa. Perfect. Interesting. I keep hearing this from seven people. Let's dig deep and see what this is all about. And it'll give you a lot of clues to what you, what you should do next. the so most important thing would be to take action, to do something. Start right? something. It, yeah. Yeah. Start something. The world wants to know what you're thinking about. Start something. Start something and and see where it takes you. And then from there... You know, you got two brands today: your business and yourself. You have to make sure you're developing both. Today, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, Elon Musk wasn't at first. Now he understands Twitter. Okay, he got in trouble with Twitter a little bit when he got up and he said he's taking the company private. And now he's being sued, but he also learned a little bit how to mess with Twitter. Years ago, Steve Jobs understood media. He would call Playboy and he would say, "I, people who like Apple, probably also like Playboy because it's edgy." He didn't call New York Times and said, write an article on me. He called the editor-in-chief of Playboy and said, come and interview me. He mm. called him. He understood marketing. Yeah, yeah. Once you understand marketing and storytelling, things change. And attention. Grabbing yes, attention. yes. Relevance. you stay staying relevant for a while. It's a hard thing to do. You know, there are only two artists in the, in the history of the, uh, America that have been, uh, that have had a number one hit in four different decades. Mm. Let me say this one more time. Only two names. Wow. Of people, you're from Austin. Do you know who the two are? Only two artists that have had a number one hit on the billboards for different decades. Do you know who the two names are? Do you know who the two names are? You have any clue or no? Ready? Ray Charles and Sting. Wow. Uh-huh. Four decades. Wow. They were relevant for four decades. That's insanity. Yeah. You yeah. know Sting? You know Ray Charles? Four decades. It's not an easy thing to do. You get a, you get a guy that does one hit is famous for two years and they're done. Right. Four decades. That's legit.
0: That's incredible. And in the
3: business world, it's the same thing. How long can you stay relevant? And how do you do that? You have to constantly recreate yourself. Pivoting. So you, you, you have to recreate you. So you have to recreate you, recreate you, recreate you. If you don't, you become stale. Like, look at Will Smith. So there was this idea at one point. It's like, oh, only, you know, celebrities don't vlog. Right, right. You know, only people that want to be celebrities vlog. Right. So a lot of names, did not want to do vlogging. So what happened? Nobody's doing it, and then all of a sudden, Will Smith is sitting there saying, "Man, people don't talk about me as much as they're talking about all these other guys." Yeah. I- I'm starting to see Logan Paul is more famous than I was me gonna today. Say, like Jake Paul. Oh Logan Paul. my gosh, uh-huh, yeah. what is wrong? I- I'll kill it on Instagram and vlog. Yeah. I'm gonna kill all these guys because I'm the original Logan Paul. Right. But right. When you look at Will Smith. It's I mean, really, who is yeah. cooler than Will Smith? Right. So Will Smith goes on the Instagram game. What happens? Boom! He blows up. The whole Kiki challenge, right? right? He does the Kiki challenge on top of a... You know, he walks yeah, bridge, up. I, don't know if yeah. you saw. I mean, that's legit <laughs> stuff, right? Right, right? So then you see, I'm with Kevin Hart. I said, Kevin, why YouTube? It's just the direction it's going to. He's a comedian. Only guy in the history of comedy that filled up a football stadium. Yeah. Football stadium. Crazy. He's on social media with a YouTube channel. Dwayne Johnson, highest paid actor last year, $124 million. Why does he have a YouTube channel? It's no longer about... Just the people that want to be celebrities go on YouTube. Celebrities are starting to realize, right. to stay relevant, I have to recreate myself. The entire, the entire game of relevance is to be able to constantly recreate yourself because yeah. people eventually will get bored with you.